Welcome back to another week of Book Club with Decent Dialogue. We are continuing our journey through The Color of Compromise by Jamar Tisby. This week we are touching on Chapter 3. And if you guys didn't get a chance to listen to last week's episode, make sure you go back and uh, and uh, listen to that. And also, if you have not had a chance to pick up this book, we'd highly recommend it. Uh, we've heard from many people so far that I've gotten it, that it's been a, a joy to read so far and convicting, challenging, and all that we have hoped it to be. So so go ahead and, and uh, grab your book and jump in with us. Scott, what up? do you want to start out the summary or you want me to start out the summary? You got it. You get the summary this week. All right, all right, all right. That was my Matthew McConaughey impression. All right, all right, all right. I know you're a big fan. Uh, yeah, so typically how we're going to start these is doing a little summary. Uh, if you have not had the chance to get the book and but still want to listen, we still want to make it somewhat accessible for you. And uh, so basically, he's Jamar Tisby, as we've talked about, he's going and doing a historical survey of the Christians' relationship to slavery in American history. And last week, he started out in the colonization period, uh, like early settlements, 1600s. This week, he jumped up to the 1700s and talked about some of the main events that had happened in the 1700s as a when it came to slavery. He touches on the revolution, just revolution in general, the ideals of the revolution, what people were fighting for, how uh, black slaves viewed um, white slave owners seeking independence for Britain and not giving freedom or independence to themselves. And kind of walks through that contradiction. Uh, he also walks through the Great Awakening, which happened somewhere, I believe, 1733, maybe it started out. But sometime like mid to mid, uh, early to mid 1700s. The Great Awakening, you've probably heard about it, like big preacher names like George Whitfield and Jonathan Edwards uh, come from that time. And talks about even in the Great Awakening, how Christian's relationship with slavery was still a very tense and not a very great one. And then he also dives into, and I feel like there's one more thing I'm I'm forgetting he jumped into. Oh, he jumped into talking about the first black congregations and where those came from, which is really interesting. Um, yeah, for sure. So, but we uh, also kind of what we do is we kind of have two takeaways each that we'll talk about, talk about and bring to the table here. Um, so Scott, I will give it to you to take away for that first takeaway. Yeah. So one of the things I even kind of want to state again and it is kind of just stating the obvious time and time again um but it's that this book it is a i'm reading it as a, almost a history book uh because it really is talking about history and one of the things i found myself doing when reading this chapter is kind of reading it and thinking all right well how does this apply to my life today uh and i really want to kind of not do that i kind of mm -hmm. want to you know there are things that we can apply to our lives and whatnot but I want to try to look at this book as more of a, a history hmm. lesson uh, that I'm learning from more so than pulling out principles that I apply to my life. Um, yeah. Well, again, I, I think there is principles we can apply, but it really is a, a historical uh, record of kind of what took place. And on that note, the first thing that really popped out at me uh, was on page 41, the second paragraph, like the middle of the second paragraph, it says, while white soldiers and political leaders were declaring their inalienable right to independence 
They were also enslaving, enslaving countless women, men, and children of African descent. And that's, that's one of those things you kind of know in your head, but it doesn't really hit you in, in the way that it does here. Um, you know, at the, the end of that paragraph, it says, revisiting early American history reveals the shocking forms of hypocrisy that helped shape our society. And you always read about the, the founding fathers and, you know, people will even try to justify away or say it wasn't the same type of slavery or whatever, you know. But at the end of the day, while a lot of people were fighting for their freedom and saying they wanted freedom and we have the right to be free, those same people were enslaving people from Africa. And I think that's just such a blatant hypocrisy that uh, that is not really talked about or discussed that much. Or, uh, and so just kind of working through that and that kind of set the tone for the entire chapter uh, was that uh, just that stating the obvious almost, but stating it so that it's in, fresh in your mind mm. as you're going into this chapter. And so that's really the first thing that I, I kind of wanted to, to point out is just that we, we have not dealt with or I know personally, I have not dealt with that uh, fact of the of that hypocrisy. Hmm. So it was really pertinent to to me and my learning. Yeah, I think one of the major takeaways it, this chapter kind of hit me because I I really tried to put myself in the shoes of someone who was experiencing, you know, like for like, and I, there's no way I can even begin to to do this fully, but just to you know to understand like these like these, these black people that were enslaved during the 1700s, like they're having to sit there and watch as their white slave owners are declaring independence, fighting for independence, preaching about independence. And yet none of it is for them. You Mm. know, um, I just, I don't know. I I could, I can only imagine how that would feel, you know? Yeah. It's, it's so dehumanizing. Yeah. You know, because they're probably sitting there like, Oh man, like the hypocrisy, like, do you not, do you not see what you're saying here? Um, I think, and I don't say many controversial things on this podcast. This will probably be one of the most controversial things oh I say. Um, so buckle, buckle in. I'm not I'm buckled. Too, I'm not too big of a fan of when people use the word Christian nation to describe like America's founding, because if you just look back through history, I mean, many of the founding fathers were deists. They believed in a higher power and a higher, you know, God. But a lot of them, some of them, most of them, weren't even like Jesus, you know, loving. Bible thumping believer, you know, like, like mm-hmm. a lot of them weren't gospel believing people. Right. And a lot of them owned slaves. A lot of them had the hypocrisy in their lives. And, you know, I'm not, I'm not saying that we should just cut them out and like cancel culture it because, you know, I think it's important to look back and see like mm-hmm. our history, you know? Right. But at the same time, it takes an honest reflection to, to truly say, all right, well, these people are these people, you know, they messed up. Yeah. They may have mistakes. Like, it, it, I don't know. I, I'm just that whole, I'm probably going to get in hot water because I'm not taking the time <laughs> to really go deep into it. But just this idea, I think we have a lot of nostalgia about early yeah. American history. And I think it's, it's refreshing and challenging for me to read a book like this that really exposes like, look, like things were not all fine and dandy. It was not yeah. the land of honey and milk part two, you know, like <laughs> it, it's, yeah. you know, people, messed up people were in the beginning of this too, but, um, yeah. well, I think that's, you, you kind of talked about that. I think it was last week or, um, I can't remember exactly what it was, but it was that whole idea of looking back in our history with nostalgia. 
And we just want to see the good. And there was a lot of good. And there were a lot of people that did good things, but there was also a lot of bad Mm. and a lot of really bad things that happened uh, and a lot of bad people doing, doing those things. And then even some people uh, using the the veil of Christianity to Mm. perpetuate bad things. Yeah, Uh, for sure. And I think that's, that's what we really need to, to learn from and figure out and, and dive an into argument, this history more. An argument to make, sorry to cut you off here, but like no, an argument good. to make would be like as Christians, like we look back at the Old Testament and we see stories of people failing over and over and over again. Mm-hmm. We never we never cut those stories out of those people failing. Mm-hmm. You know, like we we hold them true and we hold them in there because um, and we do it to, as a reminder of like how wicked people are. You know, yeah. like to think of King David, for example. Um and I don't, I don't want to get into a big council culture argument or whatever it may be because we could spend hours on that, you know? Yeah. Um, I'm talking more specifically about like, because I know some people are going to come to the fence and be like, well, these people were Christians. But yeah. just because they're Christians and just because they did the great things for God does not mean that their actions were um, acceptable, you know? Yeah. Like we look back at King David, who was called a man after God's own heart, did some great things for God. But he also had hundreds of wives, slept with Bathsheba, killed her husband. Like, there's a long track list of things that David did not do well, you know. And yep. it's not, and it's in spite of that, like, God was still able to work. But ultimately, like, we know looking back at it, like, that was not a right thing. And we condone that behavior. And it's in the Old Testament as a reminder, you know. Um, and I think as we are looking back on early church history and early American history, we need to keep that in mind is that, like, he goes on to talk about these, like Jonathan Edwards and George Whitfield, these people, these like household names that you hear about these great preachers who are evangelizing, they own slaves, you know? Yeah. And like, we need to be mindful of that. Like, even though God could do, still do stuff, like they were still part of a system that was sinful and mm. something that they should have not been doing, you know? Right, for sure. So then with with that in mind, what kind of, what was your uh, your first big takeaway? Oh man, that. um, that, that wasn't my takeaway. <laughs> no, I mean, I guess, I mean, was it? Cause you're kind of riffing off of what I was saying. So I just want to make sure like, no, we hit on the same your... stuff. The, the okay. Christian nation thing was really my gotcha. big, like just again, like the nostalgia of it. Cause he was talking about yeah, okay. revolution and independence and how we get so happy about it. Yeah. And like, we just forget that it neglected black people, neglected women. Like it wasn't great. They just enacted Juneteenth into a holiday. Mm-hmm. Um, like celebrating the emancipation of slaves. Yeah. And it made me, I was like, as I, as I began thinking about it today after reading the book, I'm like, why the heck did we not do that sooner? Like, yeah. why was that not something, why was that not a federal holiday like the year after, you know? Like, <laughs> yeah, that's a good um, point. It's just, it's just crazy to me like that. I don't know. I, I think it's just easy to forget that the independence and revolution in a time that we look back on fondly as Americans or white Americans growing up in our in our country today mm-hmm. was not a as awesome time as we can mm. think. No, that's a good word. Yeah. And then uh the the second the second big takeaway for me, and um I'll probably be a little quicker on this one, is that uh Christians learned to rationalize the continued existence of slavery. And that one just really kind of hit home with me because it's like they kind of like what you were saying people would use whatever means necessary to kind of keep the status quo because they don't want to ruffle any feathers. Mm. Uh, and so when they, when it talks about, they would rationalize slavery away, 
Uh, that's kind of mind blowing because again, even, even the freedom that people were preaching that is found in Christ. And then on the, on the other hand saying, yeah, slavery is good. And one of the things that I thought was super interesting was when they talked about how, uh, I forget exactly the, the details, but it was like the Virginia Baptists, Mm. um, they had that convention or whatever, and they decided that the church is not going to speak out against slavery because it's a, it's a civil issue. That's, you know, this isn't for the church to stand against or to be for or against. We're going to let the, uh, let the, the state laws dictate, you know, slavery. And that's, that was kind of crazy to me. It's like, all right, well, you're just justifying, uh, slavery and you don't want to ruffle any feathers or go. Against yeah. It's like, I don't want to, I don't want to have to talk. This is uncomfortable and it would, it would upset a lot of our church members. So we're not mm. going to talk about it. Like that's yeah, exactly. the vibe I got that. Yeah. That's a great point. And so that's, that's, an, that's probably the, the second biggest takeaway for me is just that, um, people just justified and rationalized, uh, a horrific act, mm-hmm. you know, and for what? Yeah, I got, yeah. For sure. Um, my second takeaway, and I'll try to make this quick as well, since Scott made his quick, um, <laughs> was uh, just a quote. Like they talked about, or actually, maybe I don't want to share this one. I'm trying to think of what the best way. Oh, I think for me, the um, I think I talked about it last week. Where I think it's easy to, it's easy to think like, oh, well, there had to be some Christians who just stood up for slavery and weren't doing it. You know, weren't a part of it and were abolitionists. There had to be some, right? And people, I think it's easy to get defensive and just say, oh, well, he's just pointing out people who engaged in it. He's not pointing out, you know, true Christians. I, I think like he hits on that pretty well by, he highlights Jonathan Edwards and George Whitfield, who both owned slaves and both were a part of that. Um, and he wrote, he writes, which I mean, like those are two like big, big names, as I mentioned earlier. Yeah. Um, he writes in on page 51, Edwards and Whitfield, uh, Whitefield. I keep saying Whitfield, it's George Whitefield. Oh, I've, I've in my head, I've been saying Whitfield. Yeah. Um, Edwards and, and Whitefield, or Whitfield, depending on where you're from, I guess, represent a supposedly moderate and wide view, widespread view of slavery. Both accepted the spiritual equality of black and white people, both preached the message of salvation to all, yet their concern for African, African slaves did not extend to advocating for physical emancipation. Uh, like these two preachers, many other Christians did not see anything in the Bible that forbade slavery. In fact, the scripture seemed to accept slavery as an, ex- an established reality. Instead, white Christians believed that the Bible merely regulated slavery in order to mitigate its most brutal abuses. This is something that like, I 100% can see it happening. And, and the reason why is, I'll give this example. In the New Testament, the um the Pharisees come before Jesus and they start asking him questions about divorce. You know, if 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 I believe it, the parable is like if a woman's caught in you know adultery, can you issue the issue? Like it's it's talking about issuing a certificate of divorce. And Jesus' response is like what God is what God has put together, what God has made um, one, like no man should separate. And and says like if you really basically making the claim, if you really read the Bible and understood like where God was coming from. You would understand like his intent for humankind is that when the two become one, they become one forever and there is yeah. no divorce. And that he says like those laws of divorce are written because of the hardness of your heart. And mm. and it's a distinction that has to be made, but it's one that I feel like a lot of a lot of Christians don't ever get to the place of I don't know if it's not taught or if 
they've never heard it before or whatever it may be. But a lot of Christians will begin thinking like, oh, well, if it's in the Bible, then it must be exactly what God wants. And so they see like, oh, if slavery is in the Bible, then that must be what God wants. Um, or, you know, they see Paul talking to um, in Ephesians, like slaves, be obedient to your masters. Masters, love your slaves. And like, oh, well, there's justification right there. Mm-hmm. Instead of recognizing like the, the Bible was also written to people in a certain context, in a certain culture. And if you read like from Genesis 1, God's intent for humankind is that like all men, men and women are equal image bearers of God. Mm-hmm. And like they would not be enslaved to one another, that they'd be able to like like the like slavery itself is not a it's not from the Bible. The Bible mm. does speak about it a little bit, but it doesn't condone it, and that's not the way like God intended humanity yeah. to exist. And so, like we do that today in other ways. Um, we do that today in in so many ways. We justify things <laughs> that we think are in the yeah. Bible, but are not truly God's heart for us. And so, for sure, I could definitely see how people in the 1700s you know, would find ways to justify it. And then it would become a widespread belief, you know, yep. because if nobody's speaking out about it and everybody's kind of just going with the Kool-Aid, then they're going to justify it. Like, well, you know, as long as I treat my slave, okay, it's okay. You know, yeah, uh, it's exactly. not, it's not, I'm not equating it, but like in similar sentiments today, like, Oh, it's okay. If I, you know, binge 12 hours on Netflix, if I read my Bible for 10 minutes, <laughs> you know, it's like, we find ways to justify things all the time. Um, yep. And enter- entertainment slavery or not, I'm I don't even want to begin to seem like I'm comparing. Yeah, no, and I think I think that's where you can, you know, like I said, kind of at the beginning of the conversation, I think that's where you can start getting into to hot water, trying yeah. to make make slavery applicable to today things. Like yeah, I should almost... have listened. I should have listened to you at the beginning, and then I would have not have made that mistake. <laughs> no, I think kind of to to wrap this up, uh, kind of along the same lines of um of all of this and at the end of the chapter it says uh racial segregation in christian churches occurred in the 18th century in large part because white believers did not oppose the enslavement of african persons and i think that's one of the things going forward and a big thing that we could even have application for this is uh how segregated our our worship times like how how diverse is the church that we go to how diverse is our friend group and you know you look at where segregation came from and and why there is so much segregation uh and it's it's not a good origin story um and so i think make it make it a priority to to talk to people that don't look like you make it a priority to uh be in relationships with people who aren't from the same uh same race as you same socioeconomic class like you know make it make efforts mm-hmm. to to be diverse in your uh yeah. in your groups yeah and ask to hear their stories too like you don't have to mm-hmm. be weird about it like i think a lot of people i hear some people say like oh everybody's saying that i need to find friends and community that looks different than i am <laughs> like do i just have to like put myself out there like hey i'm white i'm looking for <laughs> i'm looking for different friends I don't think you have to do that, but like you just got to be intentional and you got to like the people you do come in contact, like really talk to and enjoy. Like, yeah, um, I was talking with a guy the other day and it, it it wasn't weird, but I was like, hey, dude, like tell me your experience with racism. Like, I just I want to know. I'm curious. And I guarantee yeah. you like he was happy to talk about it. And I'm, right. I guarantee you that like you will make better connections, hear more stories and grow in like your understanding of the world by doing that. Um, mm. And uh, but with that, I mean. 
Scott, I, Scott and I just want to, again, like we get in trouble because people say we clarify too much, but uh, <laughs> I'm going to clarify something. Just remember that, like, you know, this is something that we're working through at the same time. Uh, yeah. We're walking through this book because we don't have a great understanding of racism and the history of social inequality in our country, in our world. Yep. And uh, so as we're working things out, give us grace. If don't, don't hear what we're not saying. Uh, and if you have any questions <laughs> for us or anything that you're like, hey, Greg, Scott, that sounded uh, way off. Send us an email. Uh, we, we, we talked about it in probably every like five episodes or so. We're going to do a Q&A. Uh, so if anybody has any questions or comments or things like that from the book, submit yep. them and uh, we'll take a little bit longer episode to, to walk through some of those. So yeah, um, we're sure. learning and we hope you guys are learning with us. No doubt. Thanks for joining us. Oh, I thought you were going to talk more. No, I got nothing else to add to that. This has been Scott Nordstrom and Greg Standard from Decent Dialogue going through The Color of Compromise. We just did chapter three. Uh, so join us next week for chapter four. And uh, as always, leave a five-star review. Hit us up on uh, the Gmail, Gregory and Scott at gmail.com. Let us know. Holler at your boy. 